What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Sorry about that. Good evening, everyone. And this is the Political Straight Talk. I am not the political Superman. He is out tonight. But think of this like an episode of... Uh, an, uh, in, think about this, that it's 12 noon and you're putting on your favorite talk radio station and you forgot to hear that Rush was going to be out that day. And you hear someone like Mark Stein or whoever, whichever one of the uh, substitute hosts are going to be taking his place. Well, I'm one of the substitute hosts. I am your host for tonight. I am Mark, the political uh, swamp thing. (laughs) And uh, we're going to discuss, first off, the thing that everyone in the South is thinking of right now. (laughs) Since the AC, since the Big 12, I'm sorry, since the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have decided to forego the revenue of a football season this year, will the SEC and the ACC follow suit? And for those who don't know, for those who don't know, later earlier this afternoon, the Big Ten decided to move their football season to the spring, citing medical issues that they found that some of the players who contracted the virus earlier in the year uh, developed pulmonary and heart issues because of the virus. With that being said, there is a huge liability, and that's the, the unspoken word that the the presidents and the commissioners of these uh, conferences are not going to tell you. Liability is the biggest factor in all of this because these are amateur players playing an amateur game hoping to get paid at the next level. Well, if something happens to these amateur players who have no right to negotiate because there aren't any unions in college football except for Northwestern State, if something happens to them, the school is liable, which any university president is going to look at this and think, well, what's going to hurt us more, us using, losing a whole season of revenue or having to pay for the entire team for the rest of their careers? And I think that's where the decision was made. Now, the Big Ten has already done this. The Pac-10, the Pac-12 has already done this. The ACC and the SEC, which I'm, I'm actually watching very closely, have decided that they are going to play. No matter what, they have already formulated their schedule that they're going to play a 10-game season. And there's uh, in the ACC, Notre Dame, they, um, the, the, the luck of the Irish, have joined the ACC for this one season because they're independent and they want to play football. Right now, the linchpin of this whole thing is the Big 12. What the Big 12 does 
will decide if there is a football season, a college football season. So everyone's looking to, to the West at this point to see what's, what's going on. Well, but I with that being said, let's really look at what is, what is going to be the political aspect of all of this. And it, it may be a little weird to uh, try to conflate football with politics, but you have to look at it like this. The people who usually watch football on Saturday afternoons, especially in the South, are going to be some of the most diehard Trump fans. And if football gets canceled on, a, on, on Saturday afternoon, they're not going to blame Donald Trump for this. They're going to blame the coronavirus, first off, and the idea that the coronavirus is sensationalism. So you may have an influx of people who are saying, you know, I was going to stay home. I like, I like Donald Trump, but I was, I'm, I'm, I was going to stay home. I wasn't going to go vote. I mean, I don't usually vote, so it doesn't really matter and all of this. Well, that's going to be another reason to go vote. So it would not surprise me if there's a larger turnout in some states that where, foot, where college football is king because they are a little peeved that they can't watch their favorite team play football on Saturday afternoon. <clears throat> now, to be honest with you, although there is a risk for the players, for anyone who knows about a college football program on the highest levels, those players are as are isolated. They're in a bubble, and they kick in, in. For LSU, they call it the cocoon. That it's these kids or these student athletes are so structured. Whereas they have their classes, they have their meals, they have their practices. There is no I'm going to the club on Saturday night, or I'm going this. I'm going to the bar on on Friday night. There is none of that. There's the option of you're going to do what we say, you're going to do it how we say it, or you're going to find yourself a new team. And I can almost promise you that's the way the discipline is in most of 1A football, in the highest level of college football. With that being said, the odds of a player catching the virus through player-to-player personnel contact, where it's just those people in the bubble, is very minimal. Statistically, according to um, John Hopkins and a few other a few other studies that are being done, but it's still that risk. And on Saturdays, you do have the, the off chance that you're going to have a fan come into a radius that could affect the player and it could it could go from there. So is it a good call to cancel the season? Honestly, let history decide for us. And that's all I'm gonna say on the subject. Um Barbara or anyone else on the call wanna say anything? No, I read the SEC is waiting to see what's happening. 
So they're not going to make a final decision until they see what the other conferences do. Okay, anyone else? For those just joining us, this is Mark, and the political Superman is not here. I'm the political swamp thing, and I'm just going to entertain you all for a little while. The next thing we're going to talk about, and this is probably the big deal that everyone wants to discuss, because this afternoon, uh, Joe finally found his way outside of the bunker, or at least they brought some microphones into the bunker. And he announced that Kamala Harris, which is no big surprise, will be his VP nominee. Okay. Kamala Harris is as toxic today yeah. as any other Democrat can be. Oh, God. For a few simple reasons. If you look at the protesting done by Antifa and Black Lives Matter about disbanding the cops, defunding the police, removing the police from from major cities, well, one thing that Kamala has going for her was she was the top cop in California. She was the top cop, and is it Oakland or is it San Francisco? It's San Oakland, Francisco. isn't it? San Francisco. Anyway, she, was, she was California okay, it, Attorney General. She was a, she was a Attorney General of California, and he she was the she was the head prosecutor in San Francisco. I, I forget which one of the Bay cities, but it, it is it's San Francisco. Thank you, Barbara. Now, here's a little secret that they don't want to tell you about most prosecutors in most cities. Usually, they start off on the lower rungs of that ladder, as in the prosecution in the district attorney's office, as a low-level prosecutor. Well, what they do is they try to get a good record, a good conviction record, and for the most part, this is how they do this. They will overcharge a suspect. They a 18-year-old male, doesn't matter what color, an 18-year-old male is found with a gun as he's robbing, say, a liquor store. Well, he takes a shot at the, at the clerk. It doesn't hit the clerk, but the shot is fired nonetheless. So most of the time, the prosecutor and the DA are going to charge that 18-year-old man with one, armed robbery. Two, attempted murder because he fired the gun and took a shot. And if they found, say, say they find drugs on him, so they're going to charge him with drugs. They're going to keep adding charges up (laughs) until they find something that sticks. And what usually happens is these young men or these young women don't have the means to get adequate defense. So they go through the indigent attorney's offices. So they get legal representation, but it's not the best legal representation. And 
those people, the, the lawyer of the suspect will come back and say, listen, the prosecutor has given us a, a deal. If you plead guilty to armed robbery and burglary or whatever the deal is, you are going to serve only 10 years in prison and a possibility of getting released after seven, something to that effect. If you don't plead guilty right now and this goes to trial and goes and you are found guilty, there is a good chance you will spend the next 25 years to life in a penitentiary. <clears throat> so because that suspect was charged with so many things that they could find, that suspect was forced to take a plea bargain. And that plea bargain is a win for the prosecutor. And for the most part, that's how it is done in most district attorney's offices throughout this country. Well, there's a reason why you can't go look at Kamala Harris's record right now, because it was put under lock and key by the Democrat Party in California and by the San Francisco DA's office because of the fact that if you actually look at those cases that she done, that she acted as prosecutor for, you're going to see a pattern of overcharging, getting the plea bargain, and the win. I could almost promise you that when Kamala Harris ran for the DA's office, ran for district attorney of San Francisco, that she touted her record as having so many. Having a high percentage of convictions for doing that. Well, this is one of the problems that we have in inner city communities, where we have young men and young women, mostly young men, serving prison sentences because they're being overcharged and forced to take a plea bargain. I'm not saying that it's right, but that's what is being done. And if the people who are really adamant about reforming those reformers, uh, well, I'm sorry, really want to reform the justice system in this country, that's one thing that they need to start with. So is Kamala Harris the best person, the best choice? Not really, especially in the, in the climate that we have. Well, do you think also, he's uh, any uh, closer to? Is he? Do you think he's any closer to winning now? Wait, I, I, can you repeat that? Is Joe any closer to winning now since he's picked Kamala? No, I don't think so. I think he actually hurt his chances a little bit. Well, what do you think? best choice. Was that Fabian? Who would have been his best choice? Honestly, I would have said Susan Rice. I think Susan Rice would have been a better choice, even though there is there's going to be the, uh, the claim by the Republicans that she was the one behind the Russia collusion thing and all this crap. You know the yeah, media is not going to cover that. 
you've got the Russian collusion. I think Tulsi Gabbard would have been the best one. I, I yeah. agree with that. I, 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 I agree with that. <clears throat> but I, I think she's burnt. I, I, honestly, I think she's burned too many bridges in the Democrat Party that she would have been content. That she would have been uh, chosen for that. And remember, when Amy Klobuchar said that she didn't want to be the vice president, that she thought that, that we needed a black female vice presidential nominee, that closed the door on Chelsea Galbraith too. That also put Joe Biden and Joe, Joe Biden's handlers in a bit of a crunch because he needed to yeah, find. Yeah, but Amy Klobuchar is not African. That's the thing. She's not African-American. She's a woman of color because she's Samoan, but she's not black. Well, the problem that they've got now with <laughs> with the hoe is that, one, her record is out there. No matter how much they try to hide it and steal it, it's out there. Yeah. And countless, countless people are going to come forward that she's screwed and basically say, hey, this is how it happened. But more importantly, this was a pandering choice. And the interesting thing is, is that the educated people in the black community know that this was a pandered choice. And I think that's going to say a lot of like today. Yeah, I was just reading now um, that... Um, <clears throat> Bernie Sanders supporters and progressives are not happy at all in picking Harris. She's not an African-American. She's not She is. Her father is a black man from Jamaica. All right. Well, he's he's from Jamaica, but that doesn't make him African-American. The darkness of his skin does. And some of his facial characteristics. I, just, I disagree. Oh, the darkness of his skin makes him Jamaican, Mon. Yeah. Doesn't make him African American. Her mother's from India. So she doesn't have a drop of African American blood in her. Okay. She's Bob Marley's first cousin. Let's just say it like that. Well, <coughs> that's, you know. <coughs> That's, uh, they're looking at a picture of her. They're not going to do a DNA test, and they're not going to uh, go to Ancestry.com. That's not the point. But here, the, here the black people are demanding he pick an African-American woman, and he didn't. And that's kind yeah, of Yeah, but what, really... they, what they're doing is they're pandering to black people. They're saying, well, we know what's good for you, and we're going to put this black woman up there, and she looks black. She looks like a woman, unlike Michelle. We're going to put her with Joe Biden. Joe Biden is probably the, the biggest since uh, Bill Clinton. The whole thing's going to backfire on him anyway. But, you know, like Fabian said, her record, you know, is not good. I mean, here she is putting all this I, I don't. I think she's going to be a non-factor. Because at this point, I think the people who were supporting Bernie are so fed up that they're just going to stay home or they're going to vote for Trump. And as far as the 
enthusiasm, the enthusiasm for voting for Joe Biden, I don't see that. People in Delaware don't even have Joe Biden signs up yet. And we have their convention, which starts next week. I think, I think you made, although... It's going to be all, a good. Yeah, I know we all called it, but I think it was a bad choice. I really do. Honestly, I don't think that you could have put a good choice for VP. There's no one that could prop up Joe except for his wet nurse. Pence is going to eat her lunch. so There won't be any debates. I don't see any debates happening. Cause could you honestly see a Democrat, the Democrat uh, handlers say, okay, Joe, can you go out there for 90 minutes and let Trump just chew you like a bone? doing you like a bone because you're going to fall asleep either halfway through are you going to say some stupid crap about how black people aren't diverse or uh that latinos are from china or something you're going to say something stupid so we're going to say uh we're not going to let you on stage and 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 for god's sakes why do we need debates it's 2020 why do we need debates you notice that argument or that phrase started over the last two weeks because there are people who are not informed as much as we are who do make their decisions based on those debates and if biden does not debate he loses he loses big time so the only way that I see the debates happening is if the questions are given to the Biden campaign beforehand, or he was in, this was an option that was written in the New York Times, that they have three fact checkers to fact check Donald Trump and uh, Joe Biden. So at the end of the debate, once the moderator has given them their last uh, final statement, the three uh, fact, checker, fact checkers, I'm guessing from Google, from Facebook, and from Twitter, are going to get up and say everything that went that was said that was false in, in the debate, which means everything that Trump said was a lie and that everything that Joe Biden well, said was brilliant. That's the only way I see a debate happening. Well, I don't Biden is going to lose because if he debates, he's going to get his ass kicked. And if he don't debate, he's going to lose any of those wishy-washies that really don't like Trump or willing to give him a chance. Listen, people stick with what they know. Okay, they know Trump. They know that he's going to. They may not like him, but they know he's America first, and they know. You know, they know he's at least going to do something. Biden looks like he's eating jello in his chair. So he's in a catch-22. Anyway, I defer my time back to you, Mr. Host. I can reclaim my time. Thank you. And I, and for those just joining us, I'm the guest host, Mark, the political swamp thing. <clears throat> because the Superman is, um, I'm guessing, in the Fortress of Solitude, filling out. Now, I have been out of news for 10 days. I have no news, none, zero, zero. So well, I, um, this, 
I am, in fact, just left the Fortress of Solitude. Oh. We can talk about um, Attorney General Barr in a disgraceful way that the Democrats treated him. It was... That's going to be any member of the Trump cabinet. I'm sorry, but... That's beating a dead horse. I think Attorney General Barr held his own. Oh, he did. Oh, he did. I watched the entire four hours, and he was great. He said he, he, about uh, a little way into it, he caught on to their game. (laughs) Well, the Attorney General is not stupid. Well... You know, he caught their game because they were not going to let him. They didn't want him to speak. They couldn't afford to let him speak. I am waiting for October or late September or early October when the Durham report comes out. And for those who don't think this is going to happen before the election, I have to say it's going to happen. And, it's gonna, and Joe Biden going to wish that he was still in the basement. <laughs> because Joe is as guilty of this as anyone else in the uh, Obama administration. <clears throat> and you notice that the media has already started to downplay this, as this is going to be a hit piece, this is going to be the October surprise, because the media does not know what's coming. They know something is coming, and it's scaring the hell out of them. No, they won't even if, cover the riots. No, they're not going to cover the riots. But the people who live in there, who live in the area, they know what's going on. Those those people That's who live in those areas in, in Seattle, they know what's going on. You don't have to cover it. No, except my brother. <clears throat> he, uh, when I wrote him about him, what was happening in Minneapolis, he came back and said, what violence are you talking about? Excuse me? They burned down the police precinct. They set an auto zone on fire. They gutted a target. And you're asking what violence? Oh, God. Your brother may not live in that part of the city. He but the people who live in that part of the city, they know what's going on. Oh, he knows. He knows what's going on. Oh, he's playing stupid or ignorant. I understand. He's a liberal. But those, those people who live in those cities, who live in those projects, who live in those shady areas of town that most people don't want to go to, they know what's going on and they know what's up. And they've had, they've had enough at this point. There's talk of, oh, the world, uh, the second American Revolu- uh, Civil War is going to start after this election and all this crap. And I'm thinking, yeah, it's going to start. It's going to be those people in the inner cities that say, uh, we've had enough. You're defunding the cops and you've turned our communities into hell holes. Or, that's example, the people of, of, of Baltimore. When Trump called Baltimore a shithole, and I'm being nice. And Cummings was when Representative Cummings just took, found the, the first microphone he could find and started and yelling at the at Trump while his constituents were saying, "Trump is right. This is a shithole." 
And right now you've got people in Seattle saying, you know what, this is a shithole at this point. People in Oakland saying, this is a shithole at this point. My favorite is the is in Portland. Portland, you know, is a very diverse city. They decided, well, we're going to find ourselves a black chief of police, and we're going to have her do whatever we want her to do. Well, well, the, the one in Seattle is Let's defund the, the police. And the first thing they said was, uh, since you are the chief of police, we're going to cut your salary by at least a hundred thousand dollars. So you're the top cop, but we ain't paying you right now. And we're going to cut your officers, and we're going to cut your budget. So the, the chief of police said, you know what? I've had enough, and here's my resignation. Now, when all of these major cities start doing that, because that's the new end thing, we need to ban the police because the police are the ones that are harming the system or harming the environment. Now, with that being said, last night when the Portland, Oregon uh, City Council decided to vote to have the police defunded, there are some that say that these, the, the, the board didn't go far enough. So they went protest and went rioting at the city council people's homes. And you just so happened to hear that, well, here this morning that there were 19 calls from one city council person to 911 because he needed protection at his house. He needed the police that he had just voted to defund. He needed them at his house because he was scared for his life. Now, this is an election official who makes a good chunk of money, who lives in a nice neighborhood, and he's crying for the police to come. What do you think is going to happen in those inner city shitholes where the people who love seeing the cops there aren't seeing those cops there? And when 911 is a busy signal or 911 is just not answered. What do you think is going to happen in those cities? The riots that they start is going to make Antifa look like a tea party. And right now, you have a president who is preaching the gospel of law and order and people needing to take back their cities. One of my favorite lines that he says is, what's the worst that can happen? You've been voting Democrat for the last 40 years, and look at the situation that you're in. Just give me a try. That's probably the best campaign slogan that you can, ha- that you can have. One of the reasons why you have so many people protesting is the fact that you had eight years of the first black president. And are those shitholes still shitholes? Yes, they are. Actually, some of them got worse. Baltimore got worse. Ferguson, Missouri got worse. New York 
gotten much worse. And what the president and what does what does the vice the former vice president do? He's going to pick a running mate that made the system in San Francisco worse for its for the people. And he hopes to get elected. Good luck with that. <clears throat> okay, any other comments? Not my no. <clears throat> oh, any any anything from the uh, Fortress of Solitude's uh, tenants? <laughs> so they're still here. Guess not. Oh, I guess not. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this concludes this episode of Political Straight Talk. I was your host, guest host for the Political Superman. I am the political swamp thing. Just remember, you have to stand for something or you fall for anything. Freedom isn't free. Thank a soldier. Thank a policeman. Thank a fireman. Thank a nurse and thank a doctor. And until next time, thank you for listening, and have a lovely afternoon, night, or morning. Goodbye. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.